Our scripture passage for today comes from Paul's letter to the Colossians. We're in chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. Before we read this, let us pause for a moment in prayer. Great, wonderful Father, Lord, we come before your throne and we come before your word today, Lord, with humble hearts and with minds ready to learn what you have to teach us. So, Father, as we come today, Lord, we ask that your spirit of inspiration and instruction would breathe upon us in our hearts and minds that we may hear your word and understand your good will for us. Father, bless this holy reading of your holy word, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This is Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things are hold together and he is the head of the body the church he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead that in everything he might be preeminent for in him all the fullness of god was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross and you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So when I was a, a teenager growing up, we had a, uh, we had a group of boys in our neighborhood that we used to all hang out with. And this is, you know, probably pretty common back then. You know, your, your neighborhood boys, the gang, the boys. You know, we'd hang out all the time and got into all kinds of trouble and mischief. I'm not going to go into all that today. But just... Just to, be, just to know that we had this gang of friends, and, and we all got together pretty long, got, got along together pretty well, uh, except for this one guy. This one guy's name was Richard. He's not here today. None of the Richards that we have, so don't look around. None of those Richards. He's not here. <laughs> the other, here's the other Richard. There's this guy, this kid named Richard, right? I really didn't like Richard. He really just got on my nerves, and apparently... Richard didn't think too much of me either. It was one of those situations, I didn't like him, he didn't like me. We never missed an opportunity to really make each other miserable. I mean, insults, threats, we just talk about, I can, you know, I can beat you up. No, no, I can beat, you know, we just talk about how we could beat the other one up if we given the proper opportunity, right, insulting each other, making fun of each other. It was, it was awful, okay? 
But one day it kind of it came to a head. I think it was one day in summer. We were, we were at Dave's house. His, his mom was divorced and she worked. And so basically it was an empty house that we got to just commit all sorts of, of felony in. And, and one day Richard and I had just had it. We just had it and it came to blows. Just a good old knockdown, drag out fight, fisting and kicking and, and scratching. I mean, okay, it probably wasn't as epic as I remember it. Right? But we just got into an old-fashioned fight. We just had to. It had come to that. Now, I don't remember who won. I mean, it was probably me, but I don't remember. That's not important. It's not important how it ended. What is important is what happened after the fight. Because I told you I couldn't stand Richard. He couldn't stand me. I hated his guts. But after we got into this fight, an amazing thing happened. We became friends. And, and when I say we became friends, I don't mean we just didn't hate each other anymore. We actually became really good friends. And of all that friend group for the next few years, Richard was truly the best friend that I had out of all of them. And we found out after that fight that we actually had a lot in common. And we actually got along great. And we went to concerts together. We hung out a lot all the time. I mean, we had a great time. Richard was a very, very good friend of mine. And none of that would have happened unless we got in a fight. Now, in case you think that I'm just weird, I've actually heard this happen a lot. Actually, I think it's probably just with guys. I don't know if girls do this. I'm not going to, well, that, that's a whole other sermon there. That, I, I think it happened, but I've heard it from a lot of guys. I really have. Some guys will be like, hey, man, I'll tell the story. They're like, you know what? I had this guy I really hated once, too, and we got in this fight, and, you know, after that, we were great friends. And it happens more than you would imagine. You can be bitter enemies. You get in a nice, good old-fashioned brawl, and afterwards, you're friends. And, and now, if you're still shaking your head and wondering that this is kind of strange indeed, there's actually something theological about this, something very theological about this principle, about getting in a fight and having something like that bring you reconciliation and peace. And that is that peace and reconciliation between mankind and God came through the blood, the suffering, and the death of Jesus Christ. The reconciliation and peace between mankind and God was made only possible through the death, suffering, and the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's look at this reading we have today from Colossians. I'm going down to chapter 21. And, and right before that, in 20, he says that he had made peace by the blood of his cross. He made peace by the blood of his cross, and you, who were once alienated, and hostile in mind and doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Once you were alienated, once you were hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he reconciled you to him through, his, through the body of his flesh through his death. He's saying the death of Christ is what brought reconciliation, what brought peace between us and God. Now, we're here looking through Colossians for the next few weeks, and, and what we're doing is, is we're using this book to help us understand salvation a little bit better, the true depth of salvation and all the things that happen. And Because Paul talks about it so much in this letter, and he talks about it in so many different ways because he wants the Colossians and then us you know, in, in the same way to understand exactly what it was that Jesus did for us when he saved us. 
And by understanding that, he uses that as a source of inspiration and encouragement for us to live a life in Christ. But what Paul's telling us is, I want you to know exactly what Jesus did for you. And I want you to understand how much God loves you and what he did for you. And if you understand that, then maybe that will give you the strength, that will give you the inspiration and the encouragement to live what is sometimes a very difficult call in life. And that's to be disciples of Jesus Christ. And our best source of strength and energy to continue on with that is to remember exactly what Christ did when he saved us. And one of the most important things he did for us is to bring about reconciliation or peace with God. Now, a lot of people will talk about this reconciliation, and I've heard him use this phrase of uh, a being right with God. And I think that's the closest we come to talking about this, this reconciliation with God. Is We'll say, oh, are, you, are you right with God? Are you right with God now? Have you, have you made yourself right with God? And, and that's true, okay? I think that's a very accurate way of looking at it, but it, it doesn't give us the full picture of what this reconciliation was all about. Because at least for me, I feel like when you hear the phrase, are you right with God, means that, okay, something just made you wrong with God, like maybe you, you said the wrong thing. You know, you offended him, that there is just a, a little bit of, of tension between you, and when now we just have to correct it and make it right. Let, let's just say our sorry, and let's just move on with our lives. And I don't think that quite captures what this reconciliation was all about, the full depth of what had to happen for us to be reconciled. And we don't understand it because we don't understand the division, the division that existed between us and God before Christ shed his blood on our behalf. When the Apostle Paul talks about it, he talks about it in much harsher terms than just you weren't right with God. That goes back to verse 21 to see what he says. He says, you were alienated. He says, you were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. So this is more than just you weren't right with God. You were alienated, you were hostile in mind, you were doing evil deeds. And, and that first bit about alienated, I mean, that's, we, we think of like a separation when you think of being alienated, that you had to be separated, but alienated is, is much stronger than separation. I mean, you feel like the distance is so much greater with alienation, or, or there's almost a ban on it, that you're not allowed to come close. You, you've, been, you've been put apart and separated for so long, and there's so distance that, that, that the relationship has now had just terrible, terrible damage done to it. And it's going to take a lot of effort to repair it. That's, that's what we get to the sense of, of being alienated and separated. But, but even worse than that, Paul says we weren't just alienated. He says you were hostile in mind. And that's a very interesting phrase he uses, hostile in mind. I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to hit you up with a little bit of Greek right now. The word that Paul uses for hostile is the Greek word ekthrus. It's it, it appears quite a lot throughout the New Testament. And, and if you look at the definition, it does mean like a hostility. It also means a hatred. But almost every time this word appears in the New Testament, this ekthrus, the way it's translated is enemy. It's enemy. And so to, to understand what he means by hostile in mind, what he means is that you were an enemy in your mind. And in your thinking, in your mind, in your thoughts, and even in your feelings, you had become an enemy to God. 
And that's so much of a, a harder word, a stronger word than just being hostile in mind. And you may think, well, maybe that's a little bit too hard, but, but it's, it's been used more than once describing us as enemies of God. When we were just doing our prayer of confession, I quoted you Romans 5.10. Paul uses that word ekthrus again. He says, while we were still enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Use that word enemies in both places. He calls us enemies of God more than not just not right. More than just we offended or just said something wrong and we need to say our sorry and move along. It says we were enemies of God. That's a strong word, enemies. And it should be a strong word. That, that's like the strongest word we have for somebody who doesn't like you. Like that is your enemy. And when I, when I think of the word enemies and like how strong it is, what always comes to my mind are those uh, police shows. You know, when, when, uh, when, when a guy's been murdered and the cops, they go to the wife. And you know, what they, what, what's the first thing they always ask? Did your husband have any enemies? As in, did he have anybody that hated him so much that he wanted to kill him? He hated him so much that he wanted to do violence for him. And, and you know, and this word is so big, I, I'm a, honestly, I honestly can't think of any enemies that I have. I mean, I got people that don't like me, believe me. But people that don't like me enough that they want to cause me physical harm or even kill me. I don't know anybody that I hate that much. And I would like to think that if, if I'm ever, if I ever get, get killed or murdered, that when the cops come to my wife and say, do they have any enemies, she could honestly say, oh, no, everybody loved him. At least I hope that's what's going to be said about me. But what, what I mean to illustrate that is not that I'm so great I've got no enemies. It's just like enemies is a big deal. That is like the, the, the ultimate hatred, the ultimate hostility. You reserve your deepest animosity for that person that you call an enemy. And that's what Paul called us. That is what the apostle says right here in Scripture. He says that we are enemies or we were enemies of God. Before Christ, we were enemies of God. And without Christ, we are enemies of God. And if you still think that's a strong word, too strong of a word to use for enemies, you just have to, just to think that church now still has enemies. God has people now today that hate him in that way. There are people out there that, 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 that hate the name of God. They can't stand to hear it. They don't want to hear anything about them. They don't want them to, to appear anywhere in our public, no matter if it's just private citizens being private citizens. They don't want to have anything to do with it. And, and, they, and they hate the name of Jesus anymore, even more. I mean, there are some people, I'm just, I'm, I promise you, the name of Jesus, it's not like they just disagree, absolutely triggered by the name of Jesus. And anyone praying in the name of Jesus, it just sends them into like this, this tailspin of anger. And, and if you don't believe me, this, something happened to me about, about five years ago. It was actually the, the first day that I came to work here. It is after, I had been preaching here for a while, but I, I was officially hired and we had my installation Sunday, and my first day of work, I'd gotten a, we'd gotten a threatening, most of everybody don't know, this is about five years ago, we'd gotten a threatening call here at the church. And it was, it was my first day, and there was a, a, the sign out there said, we want to welcome 
our new pastor, Robert Seeley. And, and when I got to work on Monday, I come in and, and Judy looks just, she looks very upset. She's like, just pale. I can tell she's not happy. And I'm like, oh, well, you know, how are things going? It's my first day, you know. She's like, well, we just got a threatening phone call. I was like, wow, that's a good way to start. Um, I was like, well, well, what happened? And she played me the tape. Some, some guy called up. It was a recording on our church one, and he just wanted to know that we're hateful, awful people, that we're terrible, that he hates all of us, and he's sorry to hear that Robert is your new pastor. And he said this, get this, I hope he dies. He says, I hope he dies. Like, I, I know I didn't know this guy because he called me Robert. No one calls me Robert. They know me. I'm Rob. They call my dad Robert. But some person had never met me before. And what we had pieced together is the call came in about 2 o'clock in the morning. He was probably riding by because it sounded like it came from a cell phone inside a car. He was riding by the church, saw the sign, got triggered all of a sudden, and decided to leave us a message to tell us how much he hated us and that he wanted me to die. So I guess I have at least one enemy. At least one. I had no idea who this person was. He had never met me, but all he knew was that there was a church here on this road, and they seemed happy to have a new pastor, and that made him really, really angry. Something about it set him off bad enough, right? It was bad enough that he had to call us to leave us an ugly message like the one that he did. That is someone who sees himself as an enemy to God. Someone hostile in mind, hates even hearing the name of the word of Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul calls us, enemies of God. And I know a lot of you are thinking, if you're like me, I, I've, never, I've never thought like that. I've never been an enemy of God. And if you can't ever remember that, that's great. That probably means you were brought up in a Christian household where God was a friendly name, was a friendly word. And you grew up to respect it and love him. That's great. Okay, but before you gloat, before you gloat, let me remind you of two things here. The first one, this one might be hard. We might not consider ourselves enemies of God now. But if you were to search yourself and to search deep, I imagine you might find a place in you that is still hostile to God but there's a place in us still that 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 resist him that that doesn't like his word that doesn't like his command that always pushes back at him and 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 it may even be to the point that I that I dare say and I, and I hate even saying this but there might be a place in us that even sometimes even hates God that has a lot of resentment towards him because, I mean, he, he, he does ask a lot of us, right? There, there's a lot he doesn't let us do. While the rest of the world is out there having a good time with their ambitions and just following whatever impulse they have, we've got all these rules and restrictions and you can't do this and we've got to forgive people who we don't like. We've got to be nice to people. We've got to give money. We've got to go to church. All the stuff he asks us to do. And then, I mean, one day he's going to remake us completely. I mean, changes so we, we, we won't even recognize ourselves. And, oh, man, that's scary on a whole other level, believe me. But then he, you know, there's a lot that happens we don't approve of. 
I mean, don't let me get me started on how things he's, he's running with the world these days. You know, bad people are having good things happen to them. Good things are having bad things happen to them. I mean, there's, it's just total chaos down here. It's like he's just, you know, let the inmates run the asylum these days. There's a lot. I mean, if we could talk to him face to face, there's some really good suggestions we could probably give him about how he's running the world these days. See, there's a part of us that still, still resist as an enemy to God. But more importantly, is the second thing I want you to remember. We can't forget the reason that we are no longer enemies to God. It's not because you're that good. It's not because your family was that good. It's not because that this county is a great county to live in or America is a good Christian nation. That's not why we're no longer enemies of God. It has nothing to do with what we did. It has everything to do with what Jesus did. It's a critical element of this salvation, this reconciliation between us and God. We were enemies then, now we were friends. We were hostile, we were alienated. Now we are the beloved children of God. And all of this is only made possible through the death of Jesus Christ. Without it, we're still enemies of God. But he has made us friends again. How is it possible, though, that Jesus dying on the cross can now make us friends with God? How is it that we were enemies, now Jesus dies, that all of a sudden that we can become friends? I've been thinking about that question a lot this week. And uh, as I thought about it, I kept thinking of my friend Richard. He kept coming to mind over and over again. It's like something God was trying to tell me. Every time I thought about this peace and reconciliation to the death of Christ, I kept thinking about, like me and Richard, we were enemies and we got into a fight and now we became friends. And I think what happened there is there was so much that had been said between us, so many insults, so many just harsh words, so much hate that had been spoken. Something had to be done about it. I mean, you can say they were just words, but words are never words. They're never just words. Words are, are powerful, sometimes deadly things. A lot of these words and all this hate had been built up between us. Something had to be done about it. And the way we worked it out was like teenage boys do. We fought. And it actually cleared the air. And it's actually, we, we got to do something about all that stuff that was between us. And once we had done something about it, we kind of be able to look at each other new and be like, you know, you know, you're not a bad guy after all. You know, you're not quite, quite as bad as I thought you were. And the same thing can happen between really good friends. If one does something awful to hurt another one, as much as you want to just forget about it and move on, you can't just move on. Something's got to be done about it because there is this stuff between you. And you either have to, to bring justice with it or total forgiveness. But you can't just forget about it and you can't just move on because that stuff is there and that stuff between you is real. And so much has happened between us and God. So much has happened between us, His creation, all of humanity and God. So much sin, so much rejection, 
And remember, God had wanted peace from the very beginning. He was the one that wanted peace. We are the ones that chose hostility. We are the ones that made ourselves enemies, hostile in mind, alienated, and doing evil deeds. And something had to be done about all this stuff between us. But friends, that was a fight we could not engage in. Weak as we were, we would be destroyed, literally destroyed. So Jesus did it for us. Jesus took our place. Jesus said, I will take the wrath of God. I will, be, I will take the judgment that should be upon you, and I will take it upon my shoulders. He fought with God, so we didn't have to. And he made it possible that we could be friends again. He's the only one that could. Because on him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So yes, Jesus did make us right with God. But I don't think we understood exactly how wrong we actually were. Enemies, hostile in mind, alienated, hating our God and our maker. And Jesus made us friends, reconciled again through the blood of the cross. And understanding this is seeing what, friends, what an amazing miracle this is. How he took us as enemies, and now we can be presented to him, holy, blameless, and above reproach before the throne of God. We are enemies no more. We're friends. And even, dare I say it, we are the saints of Jesus our Lord. To him be all the glory forever and ever. Amen.